Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of SASLife.fm. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing well, Sam. It's uh, sunny out. I am nice. exhausted. One of those kind of couple nights of like five hours of sleep. Oh, but yeah. Still feeling pretty good. Okay. What was the uh, cause of the lack of sleep? Just uh, randomness, or is there something something keeping you up at night? I don't know. I've been uh, I've been running around just kind of busier than I'd like squeezing in that extra work up to the time I go to bed, which I actually normally avoid. I normally am pretty disciplined about winding down, but the days have not allowed that lately. So I think I'm just going to bed wired, waking yeah. up uh, excited to tackle a handful of things and then regretting it when uh, the coffee's worn off. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard sometimes though. I mean, to, to shut off the day and just be like, okay, I'm going to turn my brain off on, on a problem or something that you've been working on not only all day, but it could be one of those things that you've been working multiple days in a row. It's hard to get that out of the brain. Even if you decompress and you try to get rid of it, it just, it pops up. And sometimes that's at two in the morning when you wake up and it's just like, oh, I'm awake now. <laughs> and it's it's, it's going to be a while before I get back to bed. <laughs> my, my worst and what I'm kind of tackling right now is I get to this rut where I'll wake up at like five. And it's yeah. just late enough that like, okay, if my brain actually starts going, there's no yeah. chance of me going back to bed. So right. that's the worst it, because it's, it's early enough. It's too early. You're like, I can't get out of bed, but you're also awake <laughs> and it's just, what are you going to do? Go work out? No. I'll <laughs> <So. laughs> we'll save that for a little later in the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's also, um, I'm moving out of that office that I had downtown. Right. So that lease is up here in a couple of weeks. So I've pretty much fully transitioned. I couldn't wait to get my big monitor back, fully transitioned that back to my home office. So for a while there, my mornings were a little slower too, because I'd usually wake up. Some of the times I'd take my oldest to school, which was right near my office, and then walk to work. Well, that's kind of out the door. Now it's, oh, I wake up at five for a cup of coffee and the office is right here. The house is still quiet. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where all this leads. Yeah, you gotta you gotta work on that. Get get everything equalized and and back to the the happy medium when all's said and done. Exactly. But it nice. sounds like you've been busy lately too. Uh, we chatted a little bit pre-episode, and holy cow, lots going on. A lot is going on, and I am not going to bury the lead. The big news, and this is going to be announced tomorrow. So by the time the podcast rolls out, this should already be be out there. But Text Retailer is now a tiny seed company. So we are a part of the latest batch, the spring 2022 batch. And I am super excited. Congratulations. That is exciting. So Thank for you. all of uh, our listeners who don't know what tiny seed is, I know you've talked yeah. about it in a past episode uh, a little bit, or we have. But but tell tell us about what it is why you applied and what this means for text retailer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so at the high level, tiny seed is a startup accelerator that's designed specifically for not necessarily solo founders, but it definitely leans towards that way, but it's, it's uh SAS founders. So the solopreneur, the small team definitely is, is more geared towards that bootstrapped ethos. But the basic idea is they bring you in for a full year program. There's a little bit of funding that's involved with that. They take a piece of equity of the company 
So just like you would see in other accelerators, but it's definitely geared more towards that. Let's get you to profitability, you know, sustainable growth, calm company, that type of thing. And so the ethos really aligns with the things that I like. But the thing that I'm really, really excited about is the network of mentors that they have built out that they bring in for various topics and, you know, marketing, SEO, you know, hiring, all those different things, all those different topics. And so they have this really great network of people that have been there, done that, and you can lean on them and you can learn from them and hopefully not repeat some of their mistakes and get some, not only tactical advice, but hopefully some, some bigger strategical advice as well and just grow together. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into that aspect of the program, which starts very soon. I mean, it's the 27th now of April, and we start May 1. So it's it's basically next week it gets going. The, and remind us, you have something else kind of important happening in May? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, there is a, <laughs> a new addition to the family coming. So the program starts May 1, and uh, mid-May, about two weeks later after that, we should have a a newborn in the household, so that'll be an interesting time balancing all of those things all at uh, once. So I will a lot not of change complain in about my sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm soaking it all up right now, trying to get it all as much as I can stored in the battery. I know it doesn't work that way, but I wish it does because, yeah, we got a we're gonna we're gonna be in in for it soon. But uh, yeah, we're very excited. It's 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 gonna be fun. Yeah, good. So. I'm equally excited to learn about these mentors and kind of look at the the program as, as you referred to it and the different topics they're covering. I mean, they seem so perfect for really any bootstrapped startup. Do you have a, um, a syllabus at all, like saying, hey, these are the, you know, it, it, not the details, but just these are the general yeah. topics that, that you're going to cover? They, they don't have anything like published and formalized. I mean, that's, that's the other nice part about it is they kind of adapt the program from my understanding to the actual cohort. And I can talk a little about there's, I want to say there's 15 or so businesses that are in our, our group. So still relatively small, uh, which is really nice. And so we're going to have the opportunity to really get to know a lot of these other founders that are going through the program at the same time. And a lot of businesses, because I think if you get like too big, it's kind of hard to connect and you don't feel like that that group aspect. And so keeping it smaller is, is pretty, pretty nice. But as far as the, the, the actual topics go, they have the first few months are kind of devoted to what they call their playbook, which has kind of like, like what you're talking about, the basics of SaaS businesses and kind of running through those. Like we're going to talk about, you know, establishing good funnels, good SEO practices. Pricing is a big one. That's kind of the big, you know, it, for any of you that have gone to the microconf in the past or kind of listen to it, there's this theme of like, you're charging too little, raise your prices. And so that's going to be a really interesting conversation to be able to, to really pick the brain of Rob and the other mentors and just say, Hey, here's my exact situation. And I'm really interested to get into that one because the pricing for text retailer is somewhat complex because we have usage is part of it. It's how many text messages a business is sending in a given month. That's part of the, the, the concept. There's also, as they sell products through text retailer, there's a percentage fee that we take from that. And then there's the, what is the value of the software itself? So I wish it was as simple as just, oh, you have X number of subscribers. So therefore here's your, here's your cost. Kind of like what you see in the email marketing space, but it's much, much more difficult because the cost is so closely tied to the products that we are, the, the text messages that sent out, text retailer has cost associated with it. So 
it's a digital product, but yet it, it's not. I mean, there's a one-to-one cost of goods that are associated with it. So it's kind of a unique pricing. So I'm interested to kind of dive into that to see if, if the model that I've chosen is even the right way to go. There might be a whole different way to price the product that just makes more sense. Sure. Yeah. You know, we should reserve yet another show. We've already talked about pricing on a past episode, but I'm starting to think more and more about pricing again as well. And it is, it's so complex for my business and and for a lot of others out there too. You know, you're, you're considering your costs, you're considering the value you provide, obviously, to the customer, trying to land somewhere in between and capture what you can. But it's tricky. And I feel like at least in my world, I'm running up against more and more sophisticated purchasers. So, you know, I just had a um, big call with a systems administrator this morning at at a uh, medium-sized city. And I hadn't really been talking to those stakeholders in the past. It had much more been starting kind of in the department that actually would use the software. Then it started to migrate a little bit into the world of GIS and geospatial analysis. And now all of a sudden, it's systems administrators who are asking things about role-based permissions and single sign-on and all these, you know, enterprisey buzzwords. But it would be, yeah, it'd be fun to kind of go down that road. And I'd love to hear in your world as well, kind of your, your stakeholders and the small businesses and how they think about things. Pricing is such an important thing to, it's the biggest lever you have by far, you know, if you, if you double that pricing and the demand is still there, you've just doubled your MRR, (laughs) you know? And so it's like the, and that, and that can be as simple as a small tweak in Stripe and a small tweak on the landing page and you've doubled your pricing and you flip a switch, you know, and if you get it wrong, you know, then there's consequences there too. And so it's, it's definitely something that, that, that takes a lot of consideration because it is the biggest lever that, that you have. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of put that aside and we'll, we'll jump sure. into yeah. it a well, bit later. Definitely. That's the other thing that I'm excited about is I think a lot of these, for lack of a better term, classes or, or talks are going to be really good discussion points to bring back to, to, to SAS life and really kind of get into these different topics and, and do deep dives into them. So I'm excited for that. So in terms of the structure then, I mean, is this like a weekly Zoom call that you have that deep dives on a topic or do you know how it's set up? Yeah, basically they they have they have a topic every other week and then they've also paired us with other businesses in the cohort to do a mastermind. And so those kind of switch, those toggle back and forth. So generally speaking, it's about an hour a week commitment. It's not required, but I mean that's that's kind of how they they structure it. I'm excited to dive into it. I still want to be participating in all this, even <laughs> even with the newborn at home. So I'm going to try to make that work. So it'll be interesting to see, especially when we're, when we're in the thick of it, <laughs> come <laughs> mid May, how that how that looks. But they record everything, and so you can you you can watch the videos asynchronously. It's just it's that uh, the ability to kind of chime in in real time is always nice. But that's kind of the the commitment level that they're that they're going for is about an hour a week, and the idea is then it just takes you and gives you a whole new direction. And then, and then you have the ability to reach out to these mentors and do deeper dives, one-on-one sessions with them. They kind of facilitate that tiny seat facilitates that as well. So a lot of resources at our, at our fingertips, which is great. Very cool. Well, congrats again. We can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things 
that was interesting. You asked how, why I actually applied and I did it on a whim, you know, so this tiny seed has always been on my mind for, for a while, ever since I kind of found out about it and I knew text retailer was going to be a pretty good candidate for it. But I applied, I think it was in January. And honestly, the most that I was hoping for was a call <laughs> with Rob and a little bit of feedback and a pat on the back, like, Hey, you're doing great. And we'll talk to you next year when you're ready. And so this whole thing came out of nowhere. The fact that they're like, yep, we want you a part of it. It's just, so it's been kind of a, a whirlwind of getting used to like, Oh no, this is happening now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so really excited about it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it definitely was not in the plans when I first started off in 2022, of what, what this year is going to look like. Well, you just have to go A to B to C, not A to yeah, C. So exactly. who knows what's coming exactly. next. Yeah. Cool. Cool. What else is going on? The other thing, yeah, this is a big shift of shifting of gears. There okay. has been a pretty big announcement in the toll-free number space that basically all toll-free numbers need to go through a verification process. Now, that sounds reasonable and that sounds like not a big deal on the surface. Well, what is a verification process? Yeah, let me, let me get into that a little bit. So... The way that, that it works right now is you can go to one of the aggregators and basically purchase a toll-free number and start texting on it. An aggregator example would be Twilio or Bandwidth would be an example of them. That process right now is literally you log into their platform, either through their interface or through the API. You say, I want this number. You buy it for you know X dollars, depending on your plan. And you literally just start sending messages on that toll-free number and receiving messages. Very straightforward, very seamless process. Now what's going to be required, and this is kind of rolling off of the 10 DLC updates that have been happening for local numbers. And I talked about that a while back, but they're doing a whole bunch of verification and uh, frankly, more fees that are associated with local numbers and texting in an effort to cut down on spam. So just because, and just like I talked about how easy it is to spin up a number and start sending messages. Now imagine you want to start spamming people. <laughs> so super easy to spin up 10, 20, a hundred numbers and blast out text messages in a list. If they shut one down, you don't really care. You just spin up another one and go. So it's a huge problem in the text messaging space that needs to be solved. And they're really focusing on the local numbers first. And toll-free was kind of this I guess, safe harbor zone, which had all the benefits of fast messaging, easy access. And now they're kind of focusing on toll-free as a source of potential spam and cutting down on that. So, so the verification process itself is basically providing some rudimentary information about an organization. You know, what's the official name? What's the state they're incorporated in? What's their, their headquarters? Not that big of a deal to provide this information. The challenge is the infrastructure that they have for the verification process currently. There's no API, so you can't build this into an interface or a platform programmatically. You literally have to send <laughs> that information. And right now it's via by fax, filling out, I assume. <laughs> yeah, via, basically it's, it's going online and it's filling out a form and they get submitted and a few days later you're verified, which... Sounds not that bad if you just, you're one business and you have a number. But when I look at Textiful, we have over 3,000 toll free numbers and these need to be verified by September. Otherwise, they start shutting them down. Okay. And 
So <laughs> you start doing the math on that. I'm like, oh, 10 minutes a pop to fill out a form, 3,000 numbers. Wow, that's like six solid weeks of 40 hours a week filling out a form. Well, <laughs> <And> so <laughs> just curious. I mean, so, so first of all, this, this affects Textiful, not text retailer. Technically, it affects everyone that's using a toll-free number. So it also affects text retailer. The reason I'm not as worried about it with text retailer is we've gone through the process, the verification process with our merchants anyway. It's low enough volume. I get to know these merchants and it's just part of that onboarding process. So it's kind of already baked into text retailer. So it's really not a big change there. It's textiful, which is you literally can sign up an account, grab a number, start pulling, you know, add a keyword and start texting back and forth with it within a few minutes. So it definitely impacts text textiful much deeper right now. Are you most concerned about requesting this verification information, not hearing back and having to cancel an account and lose the MRR? Or uh, is it just the tedium of actually getting people to register? It's more of the tedium. And I, I've actually already built out because I, ultimately, if they want to send text messaging, they'll, they'll fill out the form. They'll, they'll provide the information and we can get them verified and that's, and that's going to be fine. It's a matter of trying to get all of that information before the big deadline in September. So I already actually spent some time building out a form. We now know if, if you have a toll-free number on Textful, first thing you see is this form. Hey, we need a little bit more information. Fill this out. Try to make it as simple as possible. Capture only the bare minimum information. And that, that's starting to roll in. Is this um, your own form or are you like yeah. putting the actual official no. form in an iframe or something? <laughs> no, the, the, the official form is so industry specific. Like you have to know what they're asking. If I put that in front of customers, they'd, they'd be lost. So I try translate the, I translate what the official form is asking into simpler language that you don't have to be, you know, in the telecom industry for five years in order to understand what they're asking. And thankfully, my aggregator has provided a way that I'm not going to have to manually submit these one by one. I oh. can submit a CSV. So I'm starting to collect that and then do that. So that's not really, I'm not terribly concerned about the existing numbers just because there's a little bit more lead time. And I think there's a process to do this in a it's still manual, but it's not as, it, it as disastrous. Yeah, it's not, not as disastrous as I first thought it was going to be. The bigger thing, the bigger part of this announcement is all new numbers need to go through the verification process starting March 15th. So that completely changes the registration process. Starting March 15th, 2023 or starting this Okay. No, in three in three weeks, <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, May May fifteenth. Sorry, sorry, May fifteenth. Okay. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> I'm already wow. I'm already sleep deprived. Yeah. Sorry, May fifteenth in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So that's the bigger change uh, that, that, that's coming along, and that has huge implications because, like I said before, we can't just pull this information as part of the the textful registration. Here's the information we need to create an account and we beam it over an API and we start the verification process. None of that is allowed because they just don't have the infrastructure. So now it's this whole back and forth of like, oh, so they claim a number. Now we have to get this information and then they have a, like a two or three day waiting period while it gets verified. Yeah, what a step what's, back. Yeah, what's that going to look like? And so, yeah, it's, it has some big implications, not only just how we do the onboarding process and thinking through that, but it's also got me thinking about just my pricing structure for Textiful as a whole. 
everything right now is kind of bundled and it's kind of weird to bundle the things that we bundle because we have this concept of keywords and short codes, which may or may not go away. They're still here. So we're still using those. We have the toll free number, which businesses may or may not want to use because, you know, I'll break it down. There's, there's some businesses that use us just to capture emails and they're doing that solely on our short code numbers. And that's the whole reason they use textable. There's others that are using our toll-free numbers to actually send out broadcasts or blast text messages out to individuals, just like you would like an email service and just kind of do mass text messaging. And there's others that are using a combination of both. And so when you start trying to price these things out of what should a text message cost, what should the short code messages cost, what are the keywords on the short codes, what should the toll-free numbers cost? you realize that it starts to become this a la carte, pick and choose, build your own plan type of thing. And right now we're just bundling everything together in a way that it doesn't really make sense. And so I'm thinking about redoing all the pricing, splitting those things apart and have it be more of like, if you want a toll-free number, it's going to cost X a month. If you want short code keywords, they're going to cost this a month. And then all of your messaging is a separate kind of mini plan that you can buy just the messaging credits themselves. And that's all decoupled from each other. Yeah. We'll save that for the pricing discussion. That's an interesting (laughs) one because it's, (laughs) you want to reflect the actual cost and and construct something that is as close as possible to what your customer needs. I mean, it always stinks when you say, I want this one feature in the next tier, but I don't care about the other 30 and now I'm paying X, right? That, That stinks. But even worse is the cognitive load of saying, check this. No, I don't need that. Oh, but I might one day. And it's exactly. Well, I mean, a great, a great case in point is you might have one business that needs 10 keywords, but does like 200 messages a month. They just want the variety of those keywords. And then you have another business that just has one keyword, but they might be doing tens of thousands of messaging a month. How do you bundle those things up to make sense when we have to price protect the keywords themselves because it's a limited you know, limited commodity. It's just like a domain name. Once it's registered, no one else can use it. So there's a value there. And it's a matter of figuring out that pricing and and doing it in a way that that makes sense, but not overcomplicating things. And also not getting into the AWS, you pay for what you need, which sounds great. But man, it gets so confusing because people are just, I just want to know what my bill is. And well, so it's exactly. juggling all of that, you know, and I've done some exercises. I've done some deep analysis on what the current setup is. And I think I have something that I might just do some experimentation with for new accounts, get them rolling on it and see if that changes anything. So that's, <laughs> that's been the last two weeks between doing the tiny seed due diligence and getting that all squared away. And then this toll-free number thing that came out of left field, there's been very little time to do anything on the text retailer side. So that's, that's been my world. <laughs> well, <laughs> those are both two. One's good, one's uh, TBD, but you can keep telling yourself, you know, you're building that moat. Whenever something, some esoteric rule comes into play in our industry or, you know, somebody needs this integration that you're going, huh? Say, so, yeah, we're, we're just building the moat. I mean, you know, gaining that institutional knowledge and it's going to make it that much harder for competitors to come in because they'll have to deal with the same issues. That is the only good thing about this. It's not like it's my 
this decision came levels above of my vendor. So it does impact everyone and everyone's kind of scrambling to figure out what this means. And I think even the, the, the decision makers that said, this is the new policy. I think they're starting to figure out what it means because it just sounds like they got inundated with questions and like, what do you mean this has to happen? How are you going to be able to do this? I mean, <laughs> and so I think it, there's going to, it's going to be in flux and like every announcement of deadlines that have happened over the last two years, when it comes to these numbers in the telecom industry, it's going to get pushed back, I'm sure. And it's going to change and it's going to evolve. And it's just a matter of staying on top of it. But it's, but you're right, where everyone's in the same boat, which is a good place to be. It's not like it's just my vendor that's doing this. And I have to like, oh, do I switch vendors? Do I change? You know, is this worth it? And it's everyone. Yeah, you'll just want to communicate that in some succinct way to your customer. So they don't go, <laughs> oh, this is a pain in the butt. Now I'm going to go try this other service. And Yeah, I'm already dreading the here's our new pricing model email if that goes out and what that looks like and who to send that to. Does it go to everyone? Am I grandfathering in certain people? What is the justification for this? You know, because when all said and done, I mean, we haven't raised prices in five years since Sextiful started. And so that's probably a part of this. So there will be an opportunity to maybe get some more MRR uh, as an aggregate. But I think it also is just going to be fairer pricing for people based upon how they're using the platform. And that's what I'm hoping is the result. But change is hard, especially when it comes to dollars. It is. Nobody likes to get the, hey, we're updating some things email. And you just skim through, okay, yeah, that's great. Cool feature. Fluff, fluff. Ah, here's the price. Crap. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to, and that's kind of what I'm doing right now with the deep analysis to see what the impacts are. And there's definitely some outliers that their their pricing is going to swing, you know, by, you know, $50, $100 potentially. There's others that it's going to swing in the in a good way, like their price is going to go down that significantly. But most people, it'll adjust by you know less than fifteen dollars a month um, will be their their swing one way or the other. So hopefully that's enough to to, to be fine and and uh, not be an issue. But again, I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Keep us updated. Will do. Will do. So, how about your world? What's going on? Well, we are continuing to churn through onboarding i am starting to feel like a broken record but gosh between the amount of time it takes scheduling conflicts which are becoming more and more of a thing i, I was supposed to fly out uh the monday after easter to, to a customer and my flight was canceled so that was going to be an in-person onboarding kind of a bummer so we're rescheduling that for may and then this is kind of a busy season because the snow has melted so infrastructure projects are starting but we are continuing to turn through the onboardings and they are so much fun i i learn so much on each call both good and bad honestly but it's fun to a really show the customer around with their data so that they can start to see okay and and to see them light up about certain things you know it's just such a great feeling Hey, this is so cool. Or my favorite is when there's two, like uh, this morning, we had a handful of people on a call and, you know, one of them is talking to another, Hey, what if we did this? You know, and they're thinking about things that the software does and will enable for them. So those are always really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you just hit a, it's not a demo. It's not abstract 
here's this concept out there. Now it's their actual information and they can see how it impacts their day-to-day world. And uh, the juices start flowing and the ideas start going. And that's, that is fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it's neat. So we've been going through those. And in the meantime, I'm of course taking notes and trying to do a debrief after each call to figure out how do we streamline this? And we're getting there. Both the onboarding process itself and the steps. And, you know, we started with a form of the information we'd think we need, kind of an intake call that we would do. But we're learning we don't need certain things and others, uh, oh, we should have asked. So here's a fun one that I just never would have guessed. We had a customer, and I say had because pretty sure they're not going to be a customer anymore. We were working through the onboarding, you know, and, and we learned. We always did these via, and I never knew why, we did them via the phone. We didn't do screen sharing. Well, okay, that's weird, but that's how they like to do it. Their upload speed was 0.77 megabytes a second. <laughs> and their effective upload speed, as they were trying to get data into our system oh, no. uh, on an old computer, was like 0.15 Wow. How long does that so, take a single video? I mean, that's so not, they not batched, doable. They batched five videos, and these were slightly larger. Most videos are between three and 400 megs, although that number is trending upward. Yeah. Uh, these were between eight and a gig. And so they had five videos that was going to take nine hours. And they had uploaded <laughs> two before. And it was one of those things where I... Yeah. You know, we, we offered, we said, hey, we're happy to work through this with you. We're happy to, to look at ISPs in your area. This is a contractor, not a city. Oh, I was uh, going to say, yeah, that was my no, next <laughs> It was a contractor um, in Canada, actually. Yeah, um, okay. And yeah, but it was, I mean, never thought to ask that. Because even if you have like a slow upload speed, let's say you're like at four megs or something. A lot of this is done asynchronously anyway. You know, you'll bring the trucks back to the shop and let them do their thing. So it's not like you have to necessarily sit around. And although sometimes the information is really valuable to have immediately, you always have the option to upload something immediately and prioritize your uh, right. the order in which you're uploading. Well, and they, and they have the video locally. I mean, they're capturing it locally, and it's just a matter of getting it to the system and getting it to the cloud and... It's not like your system is recording it and generating the video and you require that in order to happen. It's it's capturing it after or it's uploading it after the fact. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's already been viewed in real time when the robot's right. doing its thing and coded while the operator watches the video to log observations. So that's already happened. And we do have some customers who, hey, you know, if they're out there doing some work and they see something really bad they'll upload the video right there from the field. And it's in most cases now that's fast enough, you know, that it's not a big deal. Uh, well, and especially with 5g coming online and, and all the, the faster internet connections, even if you're out in the field, that's, that's okay. Right. Exactly. And in fact, we built our sync utility to accommodate that. So you can, you can basically say, Hey, upload anything. If I have a internet connection, but only if it's an unmetered connection, so you can flag your connections as metered or unmetered. And then you can override that if you uh, have something important. 
We have other customers who will upload their data from the field right after it happens, and then the video will come. Video later. later. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 But what we just can't support is dial up. I mean, <laughs> sounds, sounds almost worse than dial up. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah. It was a, yeah, definitely a bummer to lose a customer at this point. And, and I don't know if we've lost them. I mean, they were, they were kind of weird about it, but uh, my gut says it's just not a good fit. I mean, if you've yeah. been putting up with speeds like this the whole time, then I'm not so sure you're going to see the value anyway. Right. And it's, yeah, there, there's times when you want to make something like that work, but it just it definitely feels like square peg round hole situation. And you could probably convince them to upgrade. But you're absolutely right. The the underlying mentality of like, hey, this isn't a big deal to have dial up speeds in my <laughs> normal course of business. They might not be seeing the value that your <laughs> cloud based software provides. Exactly. Now, in yeah. fairness, they had a semi reasonable like 15 megs download speed. So, you know, they might not be noticing, but at the same time, rough. So, so yeah, we're, uh, yeah, but, but, uh, just to tie it all together, I mean, okay, great. Now we know something to do right away, you know, during the sales process or more likely during the very start of the onboarding process, let's run a speed test and understand what you're working with. And I think that's also going to allow us to suggest configuration settings and potentially in the future, the way that we're compressing their videos, because we don't transcode to a million different formats the way like a YouTube would, because in YouTube's world, right, they're looking at it and saying, well, anybody could be watching this. You know, one video is intended to have potentially millions of different clients viewing it. Well, in our world, but but each time you transcode the video to a different format, that costs money, right? So in our world, we're able to just say, generically speaking, hey, this video is going to be watched by a handful of people, and we can make assumptions about the connectivity and platform that they're running. Well, maybe with this information during the onboarding process, we'll start to customize that transcoding. So, you know, one rural city might have their videos transcoded to a more compressed format. Yeah, that makes so, that makes a lot of sense. And just it's it's learning it's that deeper stuff, that deeper understanding that you don't really know until you get into the trenches and you start talking to those customers where it's little things like, oh, you literally can't upload a video. <laughs> this is probably gonna be bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's even even more so like what you're talking about is like capturing that additional information. I love having that part of the onboarding process of we're going to have it. We're going to run a speed test, not just for the sake of doing it, but it's more of like to optimize your experience. And based upon the speed test, oh, you go here, you check these three boxes. We'll even do it for you. Now your account is optimized for your your main viewing uh, situation, which is great. Right. It's just those little tweaks. You know, once you get the big features done, that do end up making a difference. And speaking of big features, so we're we're working on uh, two other major features right now that I think are pretty much going to take us to feature complete on the roadmap. So for new listeners, I approach this a little bit differently and, and built out a lot of features, but in beta, meaning, you know, they were bare minimum, kind of minimum viable feature, I guess, because the expectations of our customers are high. You know, they're used to using this type of software in a very specific way. And if we were missing certain aspects, it would just be a deal breaker right out of the gates. We had also set that bar in working with them just in the industry. So my approach to 
handling that was to build out all the features we'd need, but trying to be ruthless about how far we built them up, both in terms of uh, the richness of the feature and also in terms of the way, the, the robustness, really. I mean, taking on some tech debt, knowing that this feature might not scale the way it's written and we'll do it better later. So one of the big ones in that vein was GIS, which is essentially the mapping software that every municipality and lots of large corporations use to map their assets. And you can do lots of visualizations and things like that around the mapping. We enable a two-way sync between a user's GIS service and uh, our system. So if you're looking at your asset in Esri, which is the de facto company uh, who everybody uses, cool, now you can click a link and hop over to PipeTech to see the inspections of that asset. And likewise, if you're looking at a feature in PipeTech, you can see it in Esri. Not only that, these features have a handful of attributes, and we've talked about that a bit before, but things like size and length and things like that. So we also allow a two-way sync of that data, which is really valuable to customers because a lot of times the way a discrepancy is found between the real world and what's stored in their GIS system is through a physical inspection, right? a visual inspection. So we're propagating that data all the way back through, which is cool. So anyway, what we're trying to do here is really dig deep on this GIS feature and we're expanding it a little bit further than GIS, and we're calling it um, code name, I guess. We're trying to figure out the real name, uh, vi- visualizations. But um, analysis has been tossed around, but really a way to not only simply pass attribute data back and forth, but also to, uh, to actually visualize what you're seeing. So things like a heat map, you know, so show me all the areas in my city where there's pipes that have a problem with roots. Uh, on a heat map, or let's color code the pipes based on when they were last inspected. Let's just see all the pipes that Sam has inspected, you know, because we're a little skeptical that he's done a good job. We want (laughs) to maybe hit those again. Sam's no longer with us. (laughs) Uh, But but anything like that in a visual way. That sounds like it's very cool. The thing that's striking me as you're talking about this is there's different things like we integrate with GIS. It's like, but what does that actually mean? You know, because that's such an easy thing to check the box. And I'm seeing this in the, in the text message space too, as I'm kind of figuring out how am I going to go against some of the the bigger players in the space? Do I just get enough to check that box or do we have to go deeper into that and kind of do some of the things that you're thinking where it's, it's not just an integration to check the box on some table. It's like, no, this is going to be a full page marketing spread of like, this is different and this sets you apart for X, Y, and Z reasons. It's important to get that marketing to the top level and and really demonstrate what that product does or what that feature does. That's right. Especially when it's a little bit less uh, self-service, we're just going to sign up and a little bit more, we're actually going to conduct demos with a handful of, of players and pick the one we like the best, right? Yeah. And is there is there anyone else in the in your space that's doing anything like that that you've just described with like the heat maps or the visualization concept? No, not yet. There is yeah. one competitor who has a richer GIS offering than kind of the standard, which is just mm-hmm. that actually the standard is typically just a one-way data exchange. So, yeah, it's it's starting to become 
a thing, I think, and we're trying to get ahead of it. And part of that is just providing value. The other part is that we're seeing, as I mentioned before, that GIS and and the GIS department has a bigger seat at the table when they're making a purchasing decision. So if we can really appeal to those folks, that's an advantage. That's smart. If they're the ones with the uh, the budget, so to speak, and the the clout, make it appealing to them, and uh, they'll get more value out of it. And then you just it's that much more attractive. That's it. That's an interesting way to think about it: is breaking down your sales process, who your buyers are, and building features specifically to win that sales process. That's a smart way to approach it. Yeah, I never thought about it as exactly that's what we're doing, but I guess I guess we are. So time will well, tell you, if it plays out. I mean, and, and I think that's true for most businesses. I mean, I'm I'm looking at what features would potentially generate more revenue. You know, whether that's through existing customers and expanding, doing some expansion revenue, or makes it more likely that people onboard and thus get more customers in the door. And so you're always thinking about what features will do that, as opposed to these are nice to haves. Yeah, our customers would appreciate this, but it's not going to move the needle. And when you're so young, you have to focus on that revenue stuff because you got to get money in the door. <laughs> Otherwise, I, there's there's no door <laughs> to, 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 to be there later on. Yeah, no, that that's true. And we're also just kind of working on our positioning a little bit and and whose budget exactly we're coming out of, right? Because the buyer of inspection software is probably has a slightly smaller budget than the GIS department, who in turn probably has a slightly smaller budget. And, you know, remember, these are basically enterprise sales. They're cities and, and a lot of times larger companies. So then the IT department as a whole, or, you know, if it falls under, um, under the CTO or whomever, okay, all of a sudden now you're talking about the enterprise-wide IT budget. So as we're kind of climbing that ladder, we're moving into a higher budget pool and where previously maybe we were compared just against the other pipeline inspection software, other asset inspection software, and we had to keep our pricing within those norms. Now we can shift it up a little bit because we're being compared to, you know, an asset management system or an ESRI GIS system, you know, and even up further from that, you know, maybe it's, well, we pay X for SAP. I mean, you know, yeah. The big, so, the real big ones. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, who knows if we'll ever get there, but so far I think it is adding value and the feedback's been good. We've kind of shown off some of our concepts, but it's a big feature. And one of the last ones along with a revised sharing feature. So sharing outside your organization, that'll get us to feature complete. And then I promise we'll finally start marketing. <laughs> start. <laughs> hey. Manana, that's how it always goes. Yeah, I'm in that boat too. You know, that's that's the that's the plan for June, July. You know, when I come back and marketing, that's going to be the story. So, listeners, keep keep tuned to our marketing journey as we fumble along and stuff that we don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, cool. I'm glad we got to to catch up. I've got one uh, one thing I'm into here. I'll I'll raise it on the camera. You can see if you can. Figure out what this is. Whoa. I'm going to go. That kind of looks like a uh, a floor liner for a car. It's not that, but kinda it kind of looks like it, that. Yeah. It, yeah. You're on the right track. I got a new map for my standing desk. So it mm. is a topo map. And it has okay. little, I think they actually call them terrain features. 
which sounds <laughs> so gimmicky, but uh, <laughs> but I'm into it. It just encourages you to kind of move around a little bit and stand in different positions, okay. which they say standing is good for you. But if you just stand like stick straight and don't move, it's not. that's not a whole lot better than sitting. You know, the okay. idea is that you're moving more. So do you, yeah. do you transition to your standing desk? Do you, I, that's the one thing I haven't ever really done is the standing desk. And I know people that, that absolutely love them and they, 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 they say they're the best things and you can't work without them. How, how has your experience with them been? I, I really enjoy it too. I will say I go in phases. I can't use it as much for if I'm really heads down, like if I'm coding or something, I tend to sit. But for calls, for note taking, for um, you know, accounting stuff, whatever, I like to stand. So yeah, I, I use it. I do move back and forth between it, and uh, I, but I go in phases. And if I'm in kind of a, a deep work phase, and then just sort of trail off, I, I find myself not standing as often. I can see that. I'm I'm a, a pacer when it comes to telephone calls. Oh, okay. I, I pace. To the point where, like, I don't even realize that I've left the room. <laughs> I'm someplace <laughs> new, and so having that that standing desk at eye level could anchor me a little bit better, I think, and still have the <laughs> have access to the computer while, <laughs> while I'm on the phone. I don't do that with Zoom calls, but I with telephone for whatever reason, I just I find myself just walking away and and pacing. You don't need a mat. You actually need like a ball and chain. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll literally be outside on the actual train. (laughs) Well, here's a question for you. We're we're just about out of time, but I debate this a little bit. So back when I was fulfilling my obligation to Toro and and was having all kinds of conference calls, Mm. I would just put my phone on mute and go for a walk outside my neighborhood. And just oh, okay. walk all the time. And I really miss that. But I can't yeah. quite figure out when it's appropriate. You know, certainly with folks I work very so, closely with, but with customers, it's like, ah. Just to clarify, did you leave the phone at home while you went at work? <laughs> or when you're on your walk? And so like, you, did, you weren't even on the call? Or you took the call with you? You took the phone with uh, you? I just, took the phone with me. Yeah, but with I you. honestly, right. for as much value as I was providing uh, on those particular calls, I could have left it. Yeah. So, so the uh, question is like, yeah, when is it appropriate to have background noise, and when is it not? I, and that could actually uh, that could actually carry over even to like kids in the background, you know? Yeah, I honestly think that the rules, whatever those rules were two years ago, I think they're gone now, within reason. I mean, if you have, I've been on some calls with potential clients, and I can barely hear them because yeah, they have that's the TV blaring and they have so much going on. It's like this is this is not professional. But I think the 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 level of forgiveness, especially with kids or things, if it's a minor incursion, if it's constant, that's a whole other thing. But I think walking outside, you might hear some outdoor noise. You might hear some construction. I, I think that's pretty okay. I would personally probably judge the person that I'm working with in the sense of like, not judge the person that's doing it, but in the sense of like, if they're a really good customer that you have a really good personal relationship with, then I think it's more acceptable. If it's a brand new customer that you don't know, you just don't know. Some of those things could be pretty offensive to them. So I think it's like everything you, you kind of play it out with the personal relationship that you already have with them. Yeah, I think so too. But I do agree that the rules have certainly shifted in terms of what's acceptable now. Yeah. 
What'll be really interesting to see is if this quote unquote new normal sticks or if we start going back to those pre-pandemic kind of, you know, we're already seeing businesses going back into the office and will that bring some of those more, I guess, formal, you know, things back into the, here's what's acceptable and what's not. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So we're all going to do it together. So (laughs) another interesting couple of years as, as we readjust Hopefully, hopefully we're, oh, we're done with all this crap. I hope so, and I think so. So with that, yeah. thank you, everybody, for yeah. listening uh, to another episode of sasslife.fm. You can reach me at cmacklinen on Twitter. And Sam, remind me of your Twitter handle. I am at Sam Shrupp, and that is spelled S-C-H-R-U-P. I'm not even going <laughs> to spell mine. Look I got to look Sass it up Life every time. Go to sasslife.fm <laughs> and you will find us there as well. So if you've got thoughts on any of this, uh, whether it's the appropriateness of walking around while you're on a call, standing desks, pricing, tiny seed, feature building, all of the above, hit us up. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Thanks.